You're listening to a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. We're the answers. Welcome to LCR's, a production of Galactic Network. I'm Gregor Sprague. And I'm Corey Scott. For all info on this show, including show notes and subscription links, go to elsnerds.com. And for other Galactic Network programs, go to gncast.com. On Elsnerds, we tend to say what we think without thinking too much about it. And that includes us maybe making with the potty talk. Fuck yes. Um, so we were off last week because Corey was sick. And um, thanks for my dirty laundry. And, uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, well, Corey was ill, <laughs> and I was busy working and trying to get caught up on comic books, which is like my never-ending quest, and all that. So, um, yeah. So, Corey, how have your past two weeks been? <laughs> I see now that you're healthier. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm kind of back and forth, and I don't know if it's an age thing or if it's just like I'm falling apart, but last week was particularly rough. <laughs> And I was kind of worried yesterday was not a great day either. So we had to move uh, pot for this week to tomorrow, which is why we will not hit our normal Tuesday schedule. I think that's a first for us. Uh, but we're going to double up by giving people a special holiday episode for Halloween with Matt Vincent next week. Uh, either way, uh, I'm good. I'm glad to be here, although I'm going to be gone for a month after this. So I'm yeah. anxious to see what you guys are going to get to do. While I'm not around, last year you guys really made some great stuff happen, and I'm excited to see you do it again. No, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm excited. Um, speaking of which, hey, if you want to be a co-host, hit us up. Mail at elsinners.com. Uh-huh. I love the credit I give you. Like, you guys did such great stuff. Yeah, we're really going to nail that this time. By the way, anybody, please be on fucking Elster show with us right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am. I'm, I'm not going to put people on blast, but I did throw it on the uh, open chat today in Slack for Galactic Netcasts and didn't even get crickets. <laughs> so, well, yeah. Crickets has their own show that they're doing right now. It's much way, way more popular than ours. <laughs> Yeah, they get five viewers, where we get five when we have Jackie Hearn on. Um, but no, so uh, let's get to the news. And the first news story is a sad news story. And that is that I'll go ahead and call him comic book legend. Uh, but Steve Dillon, had, from the co- one of the co-creators of Preacher, was currently drawing... Uh, the Punisher over at Marvel, he has passed away at the age of 54. And yeah, this is one that I didn't realize until like I was looking, I'm like, wait, oh, he did, he's, he was doing Punisher. Oh, damn. Becky needs to find it. Becky Cooner needs to find a new artist. Now, like, it, it wasn't like that cynical, but it was just like, shit, who, how is whoever is going to replace him on that Punisher book? going to be able to top that oh i don't think anybody is ever going to even try to top steve dylan uh his artwork is is kind of one of a kind i mean i discovered him in preacher 
that that's where I first uh, got introduced to his work working with Garth. But uh, he had worked on Hellblazer before that. And they went on and they did a very important uh, kind of seminal Punisher run uh, when Marvel Knights was happening, which is when Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti were taking over, basically made an imprint within Marvel. And that led to Joe becoming publisher uh, in chief of Marvel down the road. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Steve's one of those guys. It, it's, it, it's sad how often this happens where you lose somebody in the comic industry and it's not just that you're losing a great artist or a great writer or something, but often these people are just so beloved and nobody has bad things to say about Steve Dillon. They only have great stories to tell of, of what kind of person he is, not to mention his, his, body of work but just the guy you know like just yeah. talking to him knowing him hanging out and partying with him getting drunk with him those kinds of things like this is a it's not necessarily that it's a tight-knit group and that's kind of the thing is that for everybody to have all these stories um all these beloved memories about him that's that's a big deal because you can just kind of sit in your own corner or work with the people that you work with. But I mean, Neil Gaiman has nice things to say about him when he was a young writer and just starting out uh, before he landed Sandman. Uh, Seth Rogen obviously has things to say about him because the, the whole preacher series is based around his and Garth's run on the book. But just so many people love Steve. And, and even if you're just a fan, even if you're just one of those guys that like, I just like to see his drawings. There's, nobody else really like him uh, because his stuff isn't overly like stylized comic booky. It feels realistic. Like so mm-hmm. much of, of the beginning of preacher was people talking, you know, just kind of sitting around talking, but it felt real. It felt like you were looking at real people on the page. And it, that's why people have been begging for a movie or a TV adaptation of this for so long because you just see these characters and you kind of know who they should be up on the screen. Um, Steve's work is magical, but then he could do the really bizarre grotesque stuff. He could take you off into a completely different direction by doing things like creating our face, creating some of the weird characters doing the stuff he did um, in Punisher, like with the, the fight between Punisher and the Russian and the whole scene of, uh, I remember in particular a scene where Punisher is using Spider-Man as a shield, as a human shield. So as this guy is trying to punch Punisher, Punisher's just holding Spider-Man up and Spider-Man's getting bashed in the face over and over again. And <laughs> Spider-Man wakes up, he's like, what, what happened to me? And Punisher's like, we had a team up, you were great. Um, <laughs> it, it was... It was very strange for me to see Steve go from doing the stuff he was doing in Preacher, which was in a lot of ways very realistic, very um, down to earth, but also fantastical. But then to see him go and tackle what was superheroes, mm-hmm. um, but in a, in a way that was complementary to who he was as an artist. Um, and I, I think that's a really great statement about Steve's relationship with Garth, is Garth wrote stuff towards what Steve's art was and they, yeah. they work so well together. And obviously Garth's the only person you ever work with. And, and it's, it's not to say that they 
they can't do things without each other. But there was something really magical about them working together. No, that, yeah, uh, I want to give some stats here for you on his career. So his career spans across five decades and two continents. His first professional work came when he was 16 years old in the debut issue of Hulk Weekly for Marvel's UK subsidiary. And um, he would later go on to do uh, work for 2008 or appear in um, his art would appear in stories for 2000 AD, Doctor Who Weekly, the classic Warrior Anthology, and was in, uh, including a chapter of Alan Moore's groundbreaking Miracle Man series. Um, he worked, he did both sides here. He didn't just do Marvel, but he also did DC. He did, uh, uh, stuff for animal man, Adam, uh, vertigo is probably where most people know him because of, of preacher. And I mean, and also, I mean, it, the dude was great. And, um, in addition to his artwork, Dylan will also be remembered for co-creating and co-editing the British comics anthology deadline with Brett Ewan in 1988, uh, uh, which published early work from Gorilla's co-creator, Jamie Hewlett. So think about this. Steve Dillon didn't do what he did. We wouldn't have the gorillas. You know, I mean, that's... Tank Girl. Uh, that's Tank Girl was another yeah. strip. Um, yeah. yeah, a lot of people say, I heard people saying that they were seeing Steve's zine, which was his work before he got picked up by an actual publisher, that he's doing himself and at 15 years old they were like who is this guy uh we need we need to find out more about him they were emulating yeah. his work and uh, he he's i mean what we think of as as comic book art in america is very different from what happens in the uk but it was it was at a point in time that in the 90s that a lot of that stuff was coming over to the us and became like a bigger thing it became the big thing for a lot of titles um and obviously there was the the image guys too that were doing their own stuff that were very straight superhero but the whole vertigo movement was around people like steve and that like-mindedness of of telling stories that weren't about flash uh, so much as like solid storytelling about you know drawing stuff on the page yep. that pulled you into it in a completely different way um yeah and just just all around terrific person it's very sad to to see this happen and 54 is you know i know i'm 45 uh it's really close to my age honestly yeah. um that's that's way too young well no and it's i mean b sort of has it right when he says fuck 2016 because i mean you, you look at the beginning of the year and it's almost like all right we're losing a lot of great brits because i mean you know, we lost Bowie, we lost uh, Alan Rickman, now we're losing Steve Dillon, there's probably others that I'm not even thinking of that are Brits, you know, we, we, we lost Prince, but he's American, and it's like, good lord, man, do we, like, do we need more knights or something over there? <laughs> like, 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 yeah, I mean, this is just horrible, <laughs> yeah, Prince was from another planet, be, um, but it's just like, can we get done, can people quit dying now sort of deal but yeah unfortunately it doesn't work that way it does if i say it does damn it um so on to the next story uh the next story is that deadpool 2 loses director tim miller over creative differences um so this one was one that i was like is there really a story here and then beat pointed out what we're talking about an awful lot right now before the show so i'm like touche touche sir okay so we will talk about it um so i guess 
him and Ryan Reynolds couldn't decide over uh, who to cast as Cable. That's part of it. And, and, and that's rumor and stuff. I don't think there's been an actual statement released on it. But yes, one of the things that people say has caused um, some disagreement between Ryan and Tim was that Tim wanted Kyle Chandler from Friday Night Lights to play Cable who is obviously, you know, might be age appropriate. I don't know too much about Kyle's work. Uh, but I could see that it could work. It's just not who I would picture as Cable, like as my first jumping to, oh, it's going to be this guy. But then that said, you know, so many of the people that have been used in the Marvel and the Fox films based around Marvel properties have not been the people that were my first go to is oh yeah of course you know other than iron man you know other other than the inspired choice of like yeah we're going to get robert downey jr to play iron man oh shit that makes total fucking sense um a lot of the other people were like oh well we'll have to wait and see um and that's the internet being kind but the other part of this as i understand it was uh Miller wanted to go more stylized, wanted to do something that was a little bit more straight superhero after uh, doing what they did with the first film. And Ryan's like, no, we have to keep the comedy up. We have to keep the the hardcore R rating up. We have to do all these things. We have to continue doing what we did and, and just like make it bigger, make it better. Um, although the, he had some weird tweet that he deleted after the fact that was basically uh where would you like to see the the big fight scene happen in deadpool 2 uh choice a is a bridge or choice b is a bridge and that's kind of been interpreted as miller wasn't coming up with new ideas or like any kind of expansive ideas since there was such a huge scene with a bridge in the first one Ryan felt like we weren't getting anywhere new with this. I, I don't know. I mean, this is all inside baseball, and it, it really is hard to say one way or the other if it's the right choice or the wrong choice. Obviously, it's easier to replace the director than it is the star, and not just the star of the movie, but someone who's been such a vocal proponent of the movie for so long, who pushed it to happen, uh, someone who has been in so many different kinds of ad campaigns, to help sell the movie has really put himself out there as an actor, like went above and beyond, which is not to say that Tim Miller's part was not extraordinarily, extraordinarily important to the success of the first film. Um, visually, it's a great movie. Everything about Deadpool works in a way that I would not have expected from a Deadpool movie unless you get it a hundred percent right. And they got it a hundred percent right easily. Uh, and to have it to be the most successful R rated movie, ever is a big deal so fox went and put their backing behind ryan which is probably not the wrong thing to do but it is too bad because when you see something that's hit that level of success you kind of want to you want to get the, the team back together again you want them to get the chance to do the next thing up their game whatever and Maybe sometimes it's better not to do that. Maybe it's better to bring somebody else in. So the real question becomes who one should be cable, I guess, in, in Ryan Reynolds' eyes, and two, who should be directing the sequel? Yeah. 
I mean, it's. I look at Kyle Chandler, and if this is who they were, you know, Tim Miller was wanting, he's too young. I could see him, you know, playing a different mutant. Um, but for like, like I could see him playing like, uh, like Forge, maybe. Hey, keep you know, in mind, Kyle Chandler is fifty-one years old. He he looks young though. Well, he, like, and it's not like there's ever been the use of prosthetics or makeup to make people seem younger. No, yeah, or I mean, older. Because I look at, like, I I looked at some of the fan casting, and they had um, oh, who was it the, uh the the guy from uh the Lights Out and uh, Avatar. Yeah, I can't um, remember his name, but I know who you're talking about, and he has pitched himself very hard at this. Uh, the problem is, is that he's not looked at as like a terrific actor, uh, yeah. although Lights Out did very well. Uh, Stephen Lang, uh, we're being told by Evan in our our chat. Uh, That's why thank we you, paid him Evan. no bucks. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, Stephen Lang, Ron Perlman's been mentioned. There's a lot of people who are like iconically, this guy would be a great cable, but would they work well in the sense of what Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool would want as against a cable? Is it someone that he wants to or could work with uh there's a lot of different things you can look at plus they want somebody who's going to be young enough to probably launch another franchise with cable uh the expectation is that this guy is going to go on to do x-force and it's all great if we got the guy who looks like cable as you know 50 years old six years old whatever but we don't want to have a dumbledore situation on our hands uh, we don't want to have somebody who is just here for one film and then has to be replaced next movie in uh, because not because they're going to die necessarily, but because maybe it's physicality of these roles is very difficult. Uh, again, the Robert Downey Jr. example, the guy is in really great shape, uh, but at the same time, most of his parts, as far as the action, are done CGI with with a suit. Like we're seeing a close up of his face, so we buy into the fact that he's in the suit, but he's not really in the suit. Uh, so, it, do they need somebody who is maybe a little bit younger, but can play older or can yeah, yeah. play stern and serious? And maybe that's who this guy was. But you've got to have a good relationship with, and which I'm not saying he doesn't. You got to have a good relationship with the other star of the film. You've got to be able to have a good interplay between the two of the characters. And some things work and some things don't. And if they did tests and stuff and Ryan's like, I'm not feeling us working together. I don't know that the audience is going to feel this either. Then maybe he just wasn't the right choice. And and I, I get that. Uh, the, other, the other thing is, who would you like to see direct Deadpool 2? Because the internet is speaking right now about who they think should direct Deadpool 2. And I don't know that that's ever going to happen. Uh, yeah, they're wanting... They're wanting, like, what? what is it? It's uh, Quentin Tarantino. Um, but th- didn't we say there was another one that pe- people were wanting? There's there's quite a few. Um, yeah. I think Matthew Vaughn has come up. 
obviously people who've done other big action-y comic booky stuff i make could see matthew vaughn i could see matthew vaughn because like the person i would cast is someone who can blend comedy with action like tim miller did with the first deadpool you know because i freaking laughed my ass off in that movie when i when i saw it i think i saw it opening weekend if not the next weekend and it's one of those movies that you know it yeah they had they had the action sequences you know especially in the third act they had the okay let's shut the fuck up and actually fight here uh moments but to but then before but before that there was a whole bunch of comedy and so i honestly think they're going to need someone who who can do that good that good blend uh beatmaster saying kevin smith the only problem i would have with that is kevin gets comedy well uh i don't know that he does action well uh and certainly not the huge budgeted action that we've seen from this yeah kevin's biggest like i think mainstream release was oh god it it was cop out and that was not a a great example of of what kevin would do in a in a film uh his his other stuff his more personal stuff i think is better and if they want to keep it lean and mean sure but i think that there is there's something for a director who who already has that kind of background and aesthetic quality in place uh, people who are really campaigning uh right now are the suska sisters who are the the twin sisters who've done things like american mary and dead hooker in a trunk they are big deadpool fans uh they are up and coming directors they're also the hosts of that elevator series on sci-fi uh, and there uh, is well i mean i'm not saying they make the show but it's a sci-fi show but they're they're people who are they've got the right mentality for it you know they're they're definitely talented and it's possible i it would be interesting because it's young hungry directors who are going to come into it and be able to be kind of somewhat like yes men or women to what Fox is going to have to say, and certainly to what Ryan himself is going to want to say about it. The question is, is who's going to come in, who's going to have the ability to have a good vision, but make that vision work for these other parties who obviously have a lot at at stake in it and enjoy being part of a franchise, which, you know, is again, going to hopefully lead into a bigger franchise down the road. Here I'm gonna throw one out. I it's it probably wouldn't work, but I could see some things working here if it did. Um, what about Edgar Wright? Because Edgar Wright does comedy, and he did, you know, with Scott Pilgrim, he did do action very well, and the scenes from Ant Man. Absolutely. If if we have 10 years uh, for him to work on it and then uh, get pissed off and walk (laughs) away, then surely I think Edward Wright is a great. No, I would I would I would love that. I would absolutely love that. But I don't know if he is going to want to get back into that kind of deal again. You know, I I, I think 
It, it's kind of like the Joss Whedon thing. Joss Whedon is making noises of like, oh, I'd love to do a Star Wars film now uh, that I'm seeing what's happening with Rogue One because I don't want to deal with all that shared universe bullshit of like, I'm part of this like heavy corporation thing crushing down on me. Oh, wait, you can you can do stuff over on the side? You can do stuff and have it not be like Luke and Leia and Han and, and all the big shit, <laughs> but do something that's like a side story with other characters? That'd be fucking awesome. And I think that, that that's where Edgar Wright is probably at now, too. He's like, I've done really yeah. well with my own movies, or I've done things that were other people's properties, but I had most of the creative control over. But the Marvel thing didn't click with him. And 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 not for any fault of, of who he is as a director. Um, but I get it. I understand why. And, and I don't know if he would be like, well, then I'll just run over to fucking DC at Time Warner uh, or I'll run over to Fox or I'll run over to Sony and, and still have their dicks in my ear every day I turn around. No, but I could see I could see them. I could see if they did Edgar Wright and it just for Deadpool 2. There's more jokes that they could that they could be cracking like. I knew thought that like Ryan like Deadpool is going, and you thought this would take ten years to make. I mean, they like could that. definitely make those kind of jokes, and and they could make it good. My my biggest concern is, is it the same thing again? Yeah, you know, and and what is the kind of movie that they want to make for Deadpool too? If it, he wants to keep it, Ryan wants to keep it in the same vein of like not super giant budget effects. Um, but but have that kind of lowbrow, still street level kind of story and humor, uh, but involving characters like Cable, which is going to be tough because Cable does not lend himself to that as much. Cable is a military guy. Cable is a character from the future. Cable has pretty heavy power set, a lot of guns, uh, but that's not all the Cable is. Cable has a ship. That flies around. I mean, if, if they want to utilize cable the right way, that he's cable, um, they need to change the tone of the movie for that. And so I just worry if someone comes in and is like, we really love Deadpool 1, let's make Deadpool 2 just more of Deadpool 1. What we've seen the best examples of what Marvel's done has been giving each film a different feel, a different theme, uh, kind of striking them differently. Uh, the biggest one's obviously the difference between Captain America 1, 2, and 3. Although 3, I would argue, is more of just an Avengers movie done in Captain yeah. America. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to see how it goes. But I really... Yeah. I, I feel bad because I, I like what Tim Miller did. I have absolutely no complaints about what that guy did in this film. And obviously, he's got the ability now to go on and pick what he wants to do next. Apparently, just not Deadpool two. The, according to Fox, the breakup is amicable. Yeah, between the two, and it's he's going to work on a, um, a, a movie. I forget what the name of the movie is called, but he's going to be working on a movie. Um, call it's stalling. It's called, um. In flux. That's what I thought it was, and it's an adapt- adaptation of a science fiction novel by Daniel Suarez. Yeah, and I mean, so, I mean there's not like there's still you know, other X Men characters that are both 
out or coming out with films. Uh, the rumored, not rumored, so the promised and lied to us over and over again. Like, <laughs> is this happening? Is this not happening? Gambit movie, which I think yeah. has changed directors uh, multiple times, might still happen. There's the new Mutants movie that has been rumored as well. Uh, there's an X-Force movie if if Cable moves from this over to that. There, there's so much potential for him to still do things uh, in this universe even, and maybe even work with Ryan again. Uh, just not this particular movie. So I'm I'm glad that people are keeping the peace too. Yeah, and the so uh, on to the to the far final news story, and that is the that the all of season two of Jessica Jones will have something in common with uh, Queen Sugar, and that is that every episode will be directed by a woman. And I say this because the showrunner, uh, Melissa, R- Melissa Rosenberg, was at a, um, she was on a panel um, at for Transforming Hollywood 7, Diversifying Entertainment, which was held at uh, USC's uh, Anber- Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism. And they talked about how I think they had for season one, they had, um, like they were just like they just had like people you know who they wanted come in and then they're like someone mentioned well why not do all women and she's like oh well, yeah I guess we could do that and so this and this whole thing of there only being women puts it in um in, in a very rare category with like I mentioned with uh, Ava Du Duvernay's Queen Sugar which airs on OWN is the only other one that has that is in there and you know obviously she didn't divulge anything about jessica jones season two but it's still it's pretty cool to think that and i'm honestly i hope it's more of these women are going to tell the best story not stunt casting and in that you know i i I agree. I think we we all. I, I don't think it's like, hey, you over there, uh, you've got a camera and a vagina. Come direct Jessica Jones. I don't expect it to be that at all. I I do. I have feelings about some of these things. Like, uh, can only transgendered people play transgendered characters? Can only women direct shows like Jessica Jones? And I think that for a time. Yes, we should try to do those things. We should make that happen because it just hasn't. You know, it, it's it's not like we're giving up so much by making this happen now uh, when when we have this, this chance to do so. Uh, it, and if it works out, then great. Then maybe more shows will invest in women directors and producers and, and have shows that are about women uh, primarily and not worry about the fact that, oh, but who's who's going to be the guy factor and, and how are we going to get men to watch this? Like you and I both watched Jessica Jones and yeah. and loved it. And it was absolutely terrific storytelling. And I don't think that there's, I mean, my wife didn't watch it because she's not really interested in comic movies. At some point I might try to entice her to get into it because I think it's just a really good season of television in general. Yep. But I, I do think somewhere down the road, hopefully it becomes that it doesn't have to be this way 
because we're trying to get people to open their minds to it. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, if it happens, it happens because it's naturally happening. But we're a, such a long way from things like that naturally happening that, yeah, if we have to give a little bit of a push here and there, let, let's do that for right now. At the same time, you know, I write. I write stories. I, I've always been someone who enjoy telling stories. Uh, people who act obviously enjoy playing people who are different from themselves. And the idea of saying, well, you can't play this part or you can't write this story because you aren't like the people that you're writing about or you're not like the person that you're you're playing in the role. That's very limiting to what the dream is of being a storyteller or being an actor. Uh, and I think that we have to kind of understand that, yes, not every comic starring female characters should be written by women, just like every comic starring male characters should be written by men. That that doesn't need to be the case. It's it's ridiculous to even acknowledge that as a thing. Um, but when we have the ability to have women just be as looked at professionally as men are, um, then that's when we can start making those, those fights, you know, but I'm still going to write what I write. And I, I still think people are going to act in the parts are going to act. And it's just nice to see a little bit more of this happening for right now. No, yeah, definitely. definitely. Hopefully a lot more. Um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've always been the person to, to have, let's get the right people to make the best content for the the thing that you're wanting to ingest exactly although at the same time we have just gotten to assume that the right people are dudes because that's all we've had to choose from or that's all we've we've let do the parts so maybe we need to expand our search is 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 what this is doing oh yeah definitely um well that is it for the news and be here's your placeholder right there um look up in the sky it's a bird it's a plane no it's what is that exactly you know superman is an extraterrestrial so you may hear us talk about him on the alien invasion podcast hey it's dave nelson inviting you to join myself brad ludwig and anessa moyens for our weekly discussion about all things not of this earth whether they be gray or green creatures from fiction the latest stories from the world of science regarding the real possibility of life out there somewhere, or the claim from somebody saying they're already among us. We'll talk about it. You'll hear three stories from the week's news, a featured sighting, and our entertainment picks or warnings rated on a scale of one to five flying saucers, of course. All of it and more every week on the Alien Invasion podcast, part of the Galactic Netcast network of shows. Find us at gncasts.com aliens or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. And so on to nerding out. The uh, nerding out is where me and Corey, well, we do that. We nerd out about the various things in our life. And I'm going to give a quick hit mention to something I really enjoyed. Um, issue one came out three weeks ago, and that was Cage. It's written and drawn by uh, Gennady Tartakovsky. He's the creator of Samurai Jack, Dexter's Laboratory, um, was the main guy behind uh, the first version of Clone Wars. And 
oh sweet christmas this is so fucking good just go pick it up it's a i believe an eight issue limited series um so you will you will enjoy it if you like the netflix uh luke cage you will enjoy this um so Corey, you've seen uh dirk's gently's holistic dirk gently's holistic detective agency god that's a tongue twister (laughs) um what did you think of it and also Uh, i should i should warn people that hey look spoiler tag spoiler written across my forehead so there you go if you're watching the video Um, all right uh did you get to watch it i've only seen the first 20 minutes of it but that was because i was so time crunched this morning um i i started watching last week tonight and then i found dirk gently dirk gently's holistic detective agency and so i was watching that when i was in the bathroom getting ready and then I got out and I'm like, all right, let's finish last week tonight. And then I will catch that up. And I'm like, I don't even think like, okay, Corey's going to put this in there. All um, right. So uh, when I was young, uh, many, many moons ago in the early 80s, I was, I, I discovered and read uh Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. By the time I found it, I think they had three books in the trilogy, which is funny because you think that's where it would stop. That is not the case. Somewhere, probably after book four, he put out a book called Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to devour this whole because I fucking love Douglas Adams. I know exactly what I'm going to get from this. No, it was it was very different from and it should be uh from what i knew from the hitchhiker series and i'm not sure uh even though i was a pretty avid reader and pretty you know knowledgeable at that point in time i'm not sure that i completely got it like i didn't understand what holistic meant Uh, i didn't understand a lot i i have i have loving memories of this i actually think i enjoyed uh the sequel the long dark tea time of the soul a little bit more than the first book but it's been a long time since I've read them. I've got a collection around here of the two books because, uh, unfortunately, there were only ever two books that came out from it uh, that they I'm are, planning they, to reread. I will I will mention that there is IDW is releasing based off of the manuscript. Right. For the third, they are doing... Uh, it came out two weeks ago, I believe, uh, Sam of Doubt, which was the third book. Uh, yeah, and so... Yeah. Be that as it may, <laughs> this is not a direct adaptation of the books, at least not as far as I remember them. This is Dirk Gently continuing being his Dirk Gentliest, insinuating himself in the life of uh, this down on his luck guy played by Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood. And. This guy is having basically what is just the worst day of a continuing life of bad days. Uh, most of his life is pretty ordinary, but this day gets really, really bad. Uh, his day starts out, he goes out of his house, his apartment to go to work, and his landlord starts beating up on his car, saying that he owes him money. And he's like, well, I just paid you yesterday. And he's like, what do I look like, a fucking historian? Um, and, and he's like, how am I supposed to know that you paid me yesterday? What this is, don't bring that shit to me. Just give me my fucking money. 
Um, he goes to work and walks into what is essentially a huge murder scene. Gets pulled in by the cops because he becomes their their first suspect and loses his job after that. Gets back home and this guy is breaking into his house and that's Dirk Gently. We're introduced to him. Dirk Gently's whole shtick is he's a detective, but he's not a normal detective. He's not someone who takes a case, gets paid money, anything else like that. He works based off of, you know, things in the universe just kind of fall into place. Things just sort of happen uh, and they happen the the right way at the wrong time or the wrong time in the right way. It, it doesn't really matter, <laughs> but he kind of like picks up the clues and and puts it together and follows a case even when he wasn't originally on it. And he's determined that Elijah Wood is now his new sidekick, his assistant. Uh, it's a little bit Doctor Who in the fact of like, instantly I found you and you're my new companion. And Elijah does this great line of like, I'm not your fucking Watson. Uh, but I think Watson kind of feels like that in the Sherlock series currently on BBC sometimes on BBC we've we've seen this before part of uh Elijah's character is that he had a pretty weird disease that his sister his sister now suffers from which is sometimes they touch things or think things they just react to things in a completely obtrusive way like touching she's playing drums and she's holding a drumstick and suddenly her instincts kick in that it's actually a knife and she's being cut or she can touch something cold and suddenly feel like it's burning and her skin is searing and so it makes it so that she's afraid to go outside and she's afraid to just live her life and part of elijah's money problems lead to like trying to help her and his parents who at one point were had money were affluent enough spent all of their money trying to get him help when he was younger so now they can't really help her and they can't help him and part of that that's whole reason of why his life is so hard a lot of other stuff starts happening <laughs> and it all gets really crazy really fast there is a the introduction of an assassin who comes up and starts killing wantonly and runs into this guy I'm not even sure who the guy is, but she kills the, the other guy that he's with and then comes up and tries to kill him. And then it, he's like, why are you trying to kill me? And she's like, because you're fucking Dirk Gently. He goes, I'm not Dirk Gently. She's like, how are you? How are you not? She's a holistic assassin in the way that Dirk is a holistic detective. I thought I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought that was a good thing to add into this. Uh, there's also this group called the Rowdy Three when there's four of them which is very Douglas Adams-y again. I think there's a lot of parts in this that feel straight out of a story that Douglas would have written. That just kind of weirdness. And this bigger, fuller story that you're only getting little slivers of that starts to add up to something and in the end will all make sense. But a lot of this comes down to the performances. And I think Elijah's actually pretty good in this. It doesn't feel too far apart from things that he's done before. It, it's not dissimilar from the one where he had the the dog Wilfred? that kept, yeah, Wilfred. Yep. Uh, ex except he's he's not getting high in this, as far as I know so far. Yet. Yet. Uh, and I, I wouldn't blame him <laughs> if he would if he did. 
But I think the hardest part of the show for me at the moment is the guy playing Dirk Gently himself. Because Samuel Bennett, I believe is his name. Yeah, he he's he's fine, but he's just so clean. And he's wired in a way that again, a lot of this feels Barnett. like it's an attempt of doing the doctor. Uh certainly a Matt Smith version of the doctor, but just sillier. Yeah. And I think it's okay, but it's not it's not again who I would I would choose. But mm-hmm. it's been so long since I've read the books that I don't know who I would have chosen in particular. But he just he's young. He's he's not incredibly convincing in the part, but he's not bad. Overall, I liked it. I'm interested to see where it goes for the rest of the season. I'm not saying it's my new favorite show, but I'm willing to give it a lot of uh, of chance because of the subject material and because of Max Landis is doing it. And Max Landis seems to have a pretty good idea of how to handle the bizarre. And he is, again, being really respectful of, of Douglas Adams as a writer to make this story happen in the way it did because... It would be so easy to just hang like the idea of, oh, we're going to do Dirk Gently. He's a holistic detective and not be able to bring enough weirdness to it to really emphasize what that character is and what his original stories are. Uh, But I think he is doing that. So I I think that there's a lot of potential that's still out there while we're, we're not getting any payoff yet. But overall, yeah, I... I think it's pretty good for a BBC America series. I'd like to see how it continues. No, yeah, definitely. Um, sorry, I just saw the the cover for the IDW uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. I'm like, wait, please tell me this is a... Uh, that cover is uh, Rob Gilroy because it looks like a Rob Gilroy cover. But that's just me getting off topic. But yeah, I mean, I, I've seen the first 20 minutes of this and and it wasn't like, oh, it was crap or anything like that. It was, I'm going to pause here, maybe even rewatch so I can devote my full attention to it, not, oh, it's on while I'm you know shaving and brushing my teeth and all that. Not at the same time, because that would be way too much hand-eye coordination. Um, but yeah, it, it's one that, like, you know, probably tomorrow morning I'll watch and be like, oh my gosh, it's so good. Because I love weird, quirky things like that, too. And yeah. But so um, my nerding out is a... It is also a BBC America show, but it has not aired on BBC America yet. Um, and this is uh, the Doctor Who spinoff, The Class. And um, this, there's not really any big name stars, but um, Peter Capaldi is in the pilot. And I guess according to B, if you find certain ways, you could see the first two episodes um, that actually reminded me I wanted to check on 
seeing if if I player had them both. But um, this is a it is a different spin or a different take on a Doctor Who universe show. Um, and there, I was surprised when I heard. Ah, oh, damn it! There, the second one is up there. Um, and I, I'm gonna say right now, I love the name of the titles. So the the pilot, the first episode was. Fortunate, we might die. The second name of the second episode is The Coach with the Dragon Tattoo. I love these titles. These are really creative titles that I love it. But um, you're following these um, group of four students um, and their teacher. Well, you quickly find out that um, some S is going to hit the F. Um. And that one of these students is not really human, and their teacher is his uh, guardian, and not by choice. Um, and there, so there's some some things in there that are explained. Um, they do flashbacks really well, like with telling with the origin. So the pilot does have a little. I should say the pilot does have a little bit of pilotitis in there like they have to explain a lot um and it is a but it is a really clever really cool thing that they do they do have things set up for you know at least the first series um and again this is british tv show so i will use series but overall i really did enjoy the show um i was surprised when they swore because i'm like wait what well, it is BBC Three, so I guess they can swear. But it was with what I had heard; like it wasn't going to be, um. But but and it sort of makes sense. It wasn't going to be like Torchwood, where Torchwood was like the HBO of Doctor Who or stars of Doctor Who, where there would be a lot of swearing. There would be more adult Doctor Who time. After Dark. Yeah, Doctor Who After Dark, and then you had Doctor Who, which was for everyone, and then. You had Sarah uh, Jane. The, the Sarah Jane Chronicles, which was on CBBC. Um, so, or yeah, CBBC. Which is which Saturday was, morning Doctor Who. Yeah, essentially. Um, this is... Um, this is the later seasons of Degrassi um, Doctor Who. Um, that would probably be my best way to describe it is that it's it's you know because it's this material that you could you can understand more you know for the younger kids um yeah yeah it's a classier misfits thank you beat it's actually a great way to describe it <laughs> uh, for american viewers would you say that it's something that you might see like doctor who on freeform slash abc family or is it um, more doctor who cw it's more Actually, that's oh, that's a tough one, because in story wise, like how the characters are, I would say um, a little more CW, but it's in the middle. Like it's you know like maybe fifty one percent CW, forty nine freeform. Um, but I would see. For the for like the 
potential for language, I would see it more on FX or FXX or, you know, whatever other FXXXXXX show or channel that they have. Um, All those X's, that sounds more like Torchwood. <laughs> FX8, the Ocho. Um, but no, it's it, it's honestly really clever. Um, I like I liked Peter Capaldi in here, um, even for um, and they give, they do give references to because um, it's set in Coal Hill Academy, and they they revamped it to where it doesn't look anything like it did in Doctor Who. Like it's actually a an academy. Like they oh they got money and all that, and you see there's little little nods to Mister Pink and uh and clara oswald and he even mentions that he was a caretaker here once before they got all this money and stuff like that and it was good because they didn't hammer that in it was just easter egg and it it focused up on the kids and the teacher and it's it was it was just brilliant i mean check it out um if you can't wait for like I me mean, you can't wait um, there are ways to do. Do this. we know when it's supposed to be released in BBC America? It's gonna be in, and this is the fucked up thing right now, in my opinion. It's on the, it's on, I think, space right now in in Canada. Which I'm like, why do we gotta wait, wait until March? Like it's like spring, it's like March or April when it's coming out. I'm like, why do we gotta wait that long? When here we get extra gear. For this last season of Top Gear that they had, they they did the extra little behind-the-scenes show called Extra Gear, and we got that on BBC America's website. But yeah, it's going to take longer than it takes to get Sherlock over here. Like, Sherlock is, I think the first season was a week or so after it aired in England, and then then it quickly became day and date. And I'm like, man, why so long? It's got Doctor Who in there. I mean, the nerds are going to eat the show up. Well, I mean, they've got to figure out when it makes sense on their schedules compared to other shows that they have airing here. Uh, when is going to be the best time to put that into rotation? So, no, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's too bad, but like you said, there are other ways. But yeah, definitely. Um, so that is it for nerding out. Do you like scary movies? Did you answer yes to that question? Have you ever thought, hmm, I'd really like to listen to two random strangers talk on the internet about some movies that I may or may not have watched at some point in my life. Sometimes they even bring guests on, which adds to a little bit of the banter. Sometimes we cover the news of the week. Sometimes we don't talk about the movie at all. Sometimes one of us gets a little bit drunk. It's just the way that we do things over at the Podcast of Terror, which is a production of Galactic Netcast, in case you weren't sure. If you're interested in this, please go ahead and head over to gncast.com pot. Subscribe and enjoy the crap out of it. Um, the next up edit here. Next up is... And I just realized I didn't do any of these splits. So, God damn it, I'm going to have to find those. <laughs> uh, but next up is our discussion topic. And the discussion this week is we're, we're going to talk a little bit about comic book movies. 
hey, imagine that. Um, but more specifically, we are going to talk about um, Kevin Feige, or Kevin Feige explains why he's reluctant to bring Netflix superheroes into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this makes sense to me in a way. Um, now, the article is on Collider where they had a, this was during, um, while they were doing uh, promo stuff for Doctor Strange. And the question came up of what do you think of the Netflix MCU? And do you think that any of those characters are going to make the big screen transition? And Kevin Smith or Kevin Feige said that it's extremely impressive uh, what Netflix has done with the show or with the characters. And he said the short answer is it all depends on timing. And like he he didn't say no, but he didn't say yes. You can expect them here, like for instance, in Infinity War. I mean, um, he goes on to explain that the way that they introduce characters into the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the films is is very. It, it takes a lot to do it, and they want to do it the right way. So in Civil War, they introduced us to two characters uh, between Black Panther and Spider-Man. Uh, before that, in Age of Ultron, they, well, we had a preview of them at the end of uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. In Age of Ultron, they introduced us to Wanda and Petro. We got the vision, the vision in Age of Ultron. We get, We need to look at how does it impact the films to introduce these characters? What is the right way to introduce them? And that presumes that people who watch the movies don't watch the Netflix shows. Now, here's here's one part of that to consider is that the Netflix shows are currently exclusive to Netflix. So if you're not a Netflix subscriber, you might not have the opportunity to see them like you can go see yeah. the marvel movies in the theater you can get them on dvd later on you can see them replay like fucking mad on fx and sudden somehow or another i still keep watching them over and over again but there's only really one place to see these shows right now now i think they did release dvds of the first season of daredevil yeah but first season of so daredevil far. um yeah they're um honestly netflix has been a little bit slower on releasing Blu-rays or DVDs um, of, and, of and all why their shows. Why, why no, should yeah, they have to be something that they want to do? Um, Netflix basically announced uh, this today or this weekend that they are putting another $800 million into doing original content. Their goal is to get to 50% original content mm -hmm. for their service. And, and there's been some complaints of like, oh, well, Netflix doesn't have all the really good movies and stuff. Uh, they're out of the top 250 movies on IMDb. They're not, they've got like 40 of them or something. It's like, yeah, but the top 250 movies are not necessarily all the people want to watch because I guarantee you, uh, and <laughs> I'm going to say, I don't want to watch it either, but the Adam Sandler movies are not the top 250 movies, but people like to watch them. You know, there's a lot of things that people want to see that aren't Citizen Kane, that aren't Gone with the Wind, that aren't The Wizard of Oz, uh, or even more recent things, you know, that that aren't uh, American Beauty or, or whatever. 
But that doesn't mean that there's not content there to watch on Netflix. But Netflix is being very serious about being producers of new content, of their own content, stuff that you're not going to get to see on Amazon, something, stuff that's not going to disappear off of the roster one month and go over to fucking Hulu or CW Seed or CBS's thing or whatever in the next month. Like, this is shit that they will get to control for life. And, you know, the only way you're going to see it is if they want you to have access to it. And I think that's smart for them because it gives them longevity. Like HBO has HBO to go. All their shows can be there. And then they can also say, yeah, Hulu, you can get these. Or yeah, Amazon, uh, you can you can play this old series for a little while. But eventually, if you really want to see all the stuff that HBO is putting out, you have to fucking subscribe to HBO in one way or another. I, I get that. But... At the same time, if you're Marvel and you're like, hey, we're making these movies and these movies, we want to get the broadest audience possible. You're kind of stuck if some of the content isn't available to everybody. Uh, So if you're the kids and you're like, yeah, I'm seeing Captain America and I'm seeing Iron Man and I'm seeing the Hulk all up on the big screen. Who's this? Who's this? big strong black guy that I've never heard of before because not only do I not get to watch Netflix for him because we don't have a subscription or we don't have fast enough internet because fuck you AT&T but also (laughs) uh, half of the Netflix series especially between Jessica Jones and Luke Cage is just people banging it's just there's a lot of there's some hardcore sex happening and it is not for all ages like you can stretch things in the PG 13 area on on these movies. But when you get to Netflix, I'm not saying it's a hard R, but it's, 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 it's very R ish. It it might be a P I don't know, but it's not, it's not PG 13. Maybe a Q. What's the Q rating? I, I just, I know that it's going to be difficult to get the mainstream audience to meet up with these characters, uh, without some savvy play. Now, there's there's a few things that are mentioned in in the discussion about this. Uh, I read an article where they're saying, well, Agents of Shield doesn't rely on the Marvel movies, and the Marvel movies certainly don't rely on Agents of Shield. One, I think that's only half right. Is it Agents of Shield always reacts to the Marvel movies? I think that's why we're getting a lot of magic based stuff this season with the Darkhold and Ghost Rider is because, oh look fucking Doctor Strange is coming out in just a couple weeks. And uh, It seems like yeah. there's a sync up there. A lot of things, the biggest things to happen to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. have come out of the movies. Um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., some people say, didn't get at all watchable until the breakthrough of what happened with Winter Soldier and, and tearing up S.H.I.E.L.D. I think that that's unfortunately to the detriment of the show in some cases, but but it's reality is that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. needs the movies. What Marvel has done with Netflix is they've made these shows that while they reference the movies in some degree by talking about the event that happened in New York, the incident, they don't need the films to exist. Now, the other side of it is that we were kind of promised that all these things tie together when they started doing this, and now they're going back in their words and fuck you guys for that. There's just one problem with the whole thing. And that's that 
the TV shows and Netflix ones, they do reference what happens in the movies. Like, I think the first episode of Luke Cage, they mention, um, they mention, uh, what was it? I think I think it was Civil War. They they talk about the incident that happened in New York, which would be the first Avengers movie. Uh, they yeah. certainly in Luke Cage they make a bunch of references to Hammer Technologies this season, but none of it is. Oh, you know they 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 constantly say things like, "Well, if you're if you're a god with a hammer, or if you're someone who gets big and green," uh, they they do make those things, but it's so tertiary to what the stories are like they're all living their own Mm -hmm. lives and and in a way that's great because in the real world not everything is going to be a gathering of all the superheroes in one place at one time and not everybody's going to know each other the only thing is is that so much of this stuff happens in the new york area it seems like at some point someone from agents of shield or certainly from the Avengers is going to say, hey, by the way, have you noticed that there's like supposedly this guy who's going around kicking people's ass that looks like a devil and this woman <laughs> who, who murdered some dude uh, just recently and then this other guy who's got bulletproof skin walking around Harlem, uh, but I'm not going to Harlem, oh, fuck that. Uh, and, and now there's some other dude who can punch through walls and shit. Should we should we do anything about this, Tony? Nah, fuck it. I'm just gonna make a fucking Commodore 64 build me a house. Uh, it's just that that gets. I I I've said from the beginning I have a problem with the one sidedness of it, is because you're saying on a ranking scale is that one thing's more important than another thing. So if the shows can only be affected by the movies, but the movies can't be affected by the shows, it makes the shows seem less important. Mm-hmm. And the shows are, are to me, in a lot of ways, more successful because what they can do to build characters and build their villains is so great that, that the movies just haven't been able to do. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and certainly Peggy Carter, most of all, get to do a little bit more interaction with the movies but they're not the success that these shows are. They're they're not seen as as great a property. They're not seen as good of an acting or anything. And in a lot of ways, when when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Peggy Carter have to accept the things from the movies and they have to react to them, it's to the detriment of those shows. Like, yeah. it, the first time, absolutely, it's great that you know we find out that shield is infiltrated it changed the game on the whole thing but it was also really early in the series for that to happen because it was like here's here's shield here's like 15 episodes of shield and all of a sudden there ain't no fucking shield anymore and i think that was too soon it was too abrupt but it had to react to the the movies for that and by the way, this guy that we've introduced you to for this first season, who's one of the good guys, is now suddenly not the good guys. That's like second, third season shit for Joss Whedon. But obviously, this is not Joss, but it is Joss's people. And that's kind of what we were led to believe is that it was a Joss Whedon joint. And all of a sudden, it ain't. 
it it felt like okay we have to make this happen now and in that moment it was great but every moment since then where it's like oh we're going to introduce this thing we're going to introduce this thing and we've obviously we've talked about the fact that marvel has wanted to do and said they were going to do an inhumans movie but how the fuck can you do an inhumans movie when we've been dealing with the inhumans nonstop for the last two seasons on agents of shield and you can't reference that in your films it it just feels like at some point, they're going to make a break between those things, even though Coulson's still saying things like, oh, yeah, Nick Fury, he's a friend of mine. Uh, cool dude. But Nick Fury never references Coulson again. And we oh, have yeah. that scene, which was a perfectly legitimate time to do it when they bring up the helicarrier in uh, Age of Ultron and they showed that Coulson is the one who supplied it, who got it out of cold storage to get it to Nick Fury there was a perfect moment of having shield back on the screen colson or somebody from shield could have been introduced as part of it and i feel like that's a missed opportunity and again it shows that they don't value that show and and of course they shouldn't you know the films make billions of dollars a pop uh the show struggles in the ratings and gets moved to 10 o'clock but maybe the show wouldn't struggle so much if it wasn't so much a one-sided deal no yeah definitely Um, but I mean, and it, it, it's to me, it's interesting because I mean, you look at Agents of Shield, and this is this is where I think the again, you know, it is one sided, but seeing all these stuff happen from the movies, it's easier for it to happen in Agents of Shield because it airs weekly. It's not a binge all the stuff right now like it is with Netflix, like with the Netflix Luke Cage or Jessica Jones or Daredevil, Punisher, you know, what insert whatever show it is here that is uh, owned by Marvel and airs on Netflix. Um, because then it's almost saying you have to create an appointment time for people like, okay, get caught up and watch episode up to episode six on Luke Cage before going and seeing or or but yeah before going and seeing um uh doctor strange and because episode seven we're gonna have a big tie-in yeah but you're talking like that in the middle of the season which is not necessary because there are breaks between seasons we have what unfortunately feel like way too long breaks between seasons or between one show and the next show and they could easily time that so that one series ends before the next movie comes out and then after the next movie comes out the next series starts and we get to see some reaction to that. It's just getting them onto the screen at that point. Yeah. And honestly, we had to deal with that with Captain America Civil War, not Civil War, with uh, Winter Soldier. Winter's because Winter's, yeah. you had to be up to date, and then you had to go see Winter Soldier the weekend it came out before you watched the next week's episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., to get the full impact and understanding of that. And I and, think that, and, that, and, that was much more difficult because some people weren't watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or weren't necessarily, maybe they were just DVRing it and hadn't caught up in the last couple episodes. Or for me, it was just like, fuck, I have to go see a movie on opening weekend? That's not really my thing. I don't often do that. Uh, but I can't watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. again. And thank God, 
someone like Glenn warned me is like, this is a game changer. You've got to go see this and this is going to really affect Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. next week. It's like, okay, yep. great. You know, so partially a spoiler, but realistically, it's more just like and it's on me to get it to that point. But we deal with that and we've dealt with that in comics since I was a kid in the 70s. It's like yeah. if there's a crossover. It's like, yeah, go pick up this issue if you want to see the other of the story or why all of a sudden the Hulk is in this area and, and fighting Wolverine. It's like, oh, shit, I should probably go pick up the Hulk then if I can find it. <laughs> um, I will say, though, that it, it, this is where this is old territory and the fact that you know marvel has done this with the comics you know forever this is also still new territory in the fact that you have um that like like the, i think that was that was the first season where they did that with uh cat america civil war with agents of shield and they did do it to opening weekend the next time they did it it was either they gave they they gave you a couple weeks to watch the movie before they tied it in and granted it wasn't a huge tie-in like um agents of shield or the with the winter soldier it was but it, it seems like they're slowly learning what to do like what's okay because of the fact that they are in this they're breaking new new ground in this whole well, we, we've got movies and we got TV. And they're all happening at the same time. They're all sharing the same timeline. So how are we going to do it? it? It's what they promised with the Dark Tower. I mean, and the well, thing is, they... the, the movies do this already. Because yeah. at this point in time, you have to watch all the Marvel films because they all interconnect. So if you're like, oh, I'm going to skip ant-man and then you go and you watch civil war and you're like who the fuck is this guy you know what is what is this reference that he's making that i don't know because i didn't want to see ant-man because i'm team Edgar right you know it you you already are dealing with that <laughs> in the movies themselves so maybe yeah you're sparing us a little bit of the pain by saying well we're not going to also make you watch the netflix series we're not going to also make you watch these other things but it's it's that kind of half-assing it that's what got people so pissed off at DC for not having the CW actors be in the films. It's like we've already got a great Flash and we've got a Green Arrow just fucking sitting here. And I don't want to say nice things about the, the fucker who does the Justice League films, but he could probably do better shit with Arrow than what's happening in his own goddamn show right now. I'm just like... <laughs> You, Marvel, set us up with this. You set us up with an interconnected universe. You set us up by saying that the shows and the movie stuff happen in the same universe. That was a promise that you made. You put it out there and you set that forth. And it's worked gangbusters for you. So to not follow up with that now... And I know there's there's company politics behind the scenes and he's like all happy to not have Perlmutter like dipping his dick in shit anymore. And he's <laughs> like, you know, and Perlmutter's like, well, fuck it. We're going to destroy the X-Men in the comics and fuck the Fantastic Four, too, and all this other shit. Um, but realistically, when it comes to the people who are watching this and the people who are the fans, especially the hardcore fans, the ones who are like in it for every ounce of it. It's kind of unfair 
that you're, you, you promise one thing and then you said, fuck it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's such a tricky thing to be honest, because you have like DC, this is where one of the things where DC will, could benefit from the fact that Marvel, that Marvel's already done things that Marvel's already, you know, said, okay, it's a shared universe. And where DC's like, no, but I still believe that no is a possibly because of the fact that they have storylines that could come across that could happen with um earths that are um i don't know um um of of a plenty you know and sort of sort of deal you know like i don't know like like they, they could call it like maybe a crisis or something on these um infinite earths and that is such just- a bullshit cop out like I've, I've said yeah. that from the beginning, when they're like, "Oh, it's like we have multiple re- multiple versions of the no, fuck you, fuck you." Because if it doesn't wind up on the screen, then it doesn't actually exist. You know, yeah. if if there's not a reaction of, "Oh, we're seeing this other universe," and and like, "Oh, well, we have a flash and they have a flash." I mean, they're already doing that on the show, yeah, uh, to much better effect. That that the movie thing, they're they're just like that's just fucking lip service. No, and yeah. I will accept easily because, yeah, I'm a guy on the Internet, but I don't really give a fuck. Uh, I will accept <laughs> when you say, yeah, we're just we're keeping them separate because we don't want the people who do the movies. They have to be tied up with the shows and vice versa. And let's be honest, some of the people who are actors on the shows aren't really ready for movies at this point. OK, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll spend the, the fucking Montreal dollars for them to show up every week and film this stuff but they ain't getting up on the big screen anytime soon. I can accept that, but don't fucking shit on my head and tell me that it's rated Cocoa Puffs because that is fucking bullshit and I will call you out on it, motherfucker. (laughs) I'm actually going to end it right there because I want that to be the ending uh, for this topic. Um, And that is going to do it for the show. And, uh, you know, you guys can help us out by supporting us uh, going to our Patreon at patreon.com slash galactic netcasts, I believe is the correct one. Um, or just basically going to gncasts.com slash support. Or the easier route, because you already shop on Amazon right now, go click our affiliate link also at gncasts.com slash support and then do your shopping. Whatever you are going to buy, you're going to buy yourself a kindle fire you're going to buy yourself you know whatever it might be some of the things we talked about tonight uh the dirk gently's holistic detective agency episodes you can get through amazon uh we've got a link to that in the show notes the book the original novel is we've got a link in there uh you can get on your kindle or you can get the the print Uh, gregor's pick for cage number one you can download that from amazon as well so we've got links for all those things if you wind up clicking the links and uh if we manage to entice you into buying any of those things that will help us out a little bit yes uh three i believe three or four percent goes to us and by us i mean the royal us of dave nelson um who he in turn uses that to keep the lights on on the proverbial um the proverbial house that is galactic networks um and 
but yeah, so you can do that. Um, you can also contact us by leaving us a voicemail at 805-328-3966 or emailing us mail at elsners.com. Please email us if you want to be a guest host when we uh, for the month of November. Uh, and you can uh, join us on our Facebook page under Galactic Network. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Elsnerds or the network at Galactic Net Netcasts or is it Network? I, I don't know that he's been able to change the Twitters, so that's a good okay. question. Um, do a search for Galactic Networks, um, and then you can find our producers at Beatmaster80, at Mr. Underscore Fusion, and I'm at that Gregor, and Corey, you can find all his comic book stuff at Don't Ask Comics. If you go to CaptainSparity.com um, right now, I did write a short story uh, that I just put up on the site last night, uh, so if you want to check out something it's it's not exactly a halloween story but i wanted to get it out for halloween yes and the final thing to be said is this has been a don't tell glenn production we will see you guys next week or else cocoa puffs raining down this has been a galactic network podcast for more go to gncast.com that's g-n-c-a-s-t-s.com 